0: This is Tyler and Scarlett, and they're strapping young lad, Nash Easton, hey buddy, Nash Easton Pikonke, Pikonke, I've been practicing that all morning, Pikonke, how you doing? Nash Easton sounds like a a country music star's name, (laughs) maybe with his hair, he's got halfway there. (laughs) Yeah, so... Tyler and Scarlett's gone to church. She grew up here at this church. And uh, in fact, her parents, uh, Yvette and Fred, Fred's our usher and runs the lyrics up there. And love you guys and your family. In fact, Elijah, her brother, was the bass player. You may have noticed the bass player um, here, uh, Elijah. Uh, By the way, Elijah enjoys poetry, uh, long walks on the beach, (laughs) and is uh, currently single. Well, would you join me in prayer as we lift little Nash Easton to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up Nash to you, and we, we thank you so much for him, and what a wonderful gift, and we pray, Lord, that, that he would become all that he is meant to be, and we thank you for the love that Scarlett and Tyler uh, provide for him, and we thank you for... The love of their extended family as well, <laughs> and uh, encouraging him, Lord, in his faith. We pray that you'd always keep him in, in really good health, and uh, we pray that he would always know the extent of your great love for him. And may he follow you all the days of his life, and may your plans for him become his dreams. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You did good. He's kind of a natural on stage. I think he is going to be a country music star. Look over there. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, great. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Oh, we got a certificate for you, too. It's legit.
1: right that was a relief because backstage he couldn't kenny couldn't get him to let him hold them so i go well when he sees the audience and grandparents and things like that he'll be fine so what a blessing well we are continuing our study through the gospel of matthew we're getting close to the end for several weeks we've been in the last week of the life of Jesus, which is fascinating because when somebody's life is about to come to an end, it has a way of shifting their priorities and and they begin to focus on the things that matter most. And so what Jesus taught on during his last week was you know, amazingly important, so critical, in so many different ways, in fact, You can take what he taught in that week and it probably was as important as everything he taught all of the other um, months combined. So in Matthew 24 and 25, we have what's called the Olivet Discourse. It was a sermon that Jesus preached um, on the Mount of Olives a few days before he would die, a couple days before he would die most likely. And it's a message that We'll, we'll look at chapter 24 today, and then in a couple weeks when I pick up again, we'll pick up chapter 25, but it's a message about the future, and you can expect the disciples were kind of antsy about what's coming next, because they understood as they're like listening to Jesus. First, they were, I can't wait till he comes to the throne and becomes king. But then he's telling them, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm going to come back. And now they're figuring out, okay, at what point do you ascend to the throne? How are we going to know that's coming? What's happening with all of this? And so they were in that frame of mind with more questions than answers, really. And in verse one, it says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, the buildings of the temple, um, don't think of the temple in terms of the images that you've seen of it when it was built by Solomon or when it was rebuilt with Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, um, as in their era. That was a pretty small building. But during the time of Herod, which is when Jesus was here, Herod had decided to add on to the temple like ridiculously. It was, you know, you see people that buy a little house and then they just keep adding on and adding on and that's kind of Herod. Ultimately, by this point, according to Josephus, the the temple encompassed the pretty much the entire temple mount. So if you've been there now, you've seen where the southern steps are, then there's the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Well, all that was a part of Herod's temple. And then there's a whole courtyard, and then there's the temple proper with the holy place and the holy of holies. And then uh, on the other side of that, there's a huge vacant lot that to this day there are a couple little wells and things like that, but it's a vast piece of real estate. Well, Herod had added on by making that entire thing. A temple. And it was impressive. It was stacked up with um, you know marble and granite, stones, one on top of the other, polished, and then colored so that it was they said that Josephus said that from miles away you would see it sparkling because not only was it shiny white, but Herod had taken gold and poured it over the the surfaces. So you'd see it from a distance, shining gold and bright white. So it's understandable that the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, check it out. Because what they're thinking is, this is our next house, right? I mean, you're going to take the throne from here. It looks like they're fixing it up for us, huh? They're renovating it just so that we can take possession. So that's their thought. So they're like, Jesus, check it out our next home. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Do you really see it? Assuredly, I say to you, as impressive as it is, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, what a quench. It's like, you think it's impressive? Every one of these beautiful stones is going to be thrown down. And now they're really confused. Now, In fact, it wouldn't be too long in 70 AD when Titus came in and ran over the top of Jerusalem. He was so mad at the Jews that he wanted to destroy them. And so as he was slaughtering them, the Jews ran inside the temple. So Herod had built this cool structure. They were hiding in it. And so what Titus did He didn't have to go in the temple. He started throwing firebombs and stuff into it, and he literally burned the temple down. Now, that killed all the Jews who were hiding inside there, but more than that, though, it melted the gold, which seeped down between the cracks on the stones, and so they literally had to take it, disassemble it stone by stone so that they could scrape the gold off that had been melted, and so... You know, Jesus was saying this is going to be all taken apart. and In fact, in 70 A.D., what he had predicted is exactly what had happened. Obviously, they didn't understand it because they sat there on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him in verse 3 privately and said, Tell us, when will these things be? When's it going to get torn down? And tell us, you know, when will be the sign of your coming? How do we know? when you're going to establish your kingdom and of the end of the age. When does everything change? When does everything shift? They're asking the same kind of questions that many of us might ask today. We're looking at the world and we're like, Jesus, how do we know when it's over? We can try to suck it up and do the best we can, but it would really help if we look at troubles that are going on and say, oh, here we go. This is perfect evidence. So Jesus goes into like a prophecy update in chapter 24 and 25, and naturally you want to hear it because it's going to give you a clue, it's going to give you a reason to be more optimistic. And so he lays out some things, and it's fascinating to me what he tells them, and even more fascinating what he leaves out, because it's way different than they expected, and it's way different than we would expect. So if you read Matthew 24 and 25 and think you're going to get great insights as to when Jesus is going to come, you're going to be really disappointed because he spends most of his energy telling you it's not this and it's not this and it's not that. But let's go ahead and look and see what he says. He sat there. The disciples asked these questions and Jesus answered and said to them in verse four, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, diseases, earthquakes in various places. All these things are just the beginning of sorrows." They're just scratching the surface. So he tells them, I know you're looking for a clue, but let me tell you this. There are going to be a lot of false prophets. People are gonna find out that one of the ways that you can really cash in is by pretending that you can predict the future. And so plenty of people will try to do that. You'll sell a lot of books and a lot of movies telling people, see, here it is. We're almost there. It's about time. And some of them will look at wars, and, and as there are people today who are like, oh, so Russia invading Ukraine. Doesn't that mean that Jesus is about to come? Or, you know, it's been that way, World War I, World War II. People are always looking for evidence that he's almost here. And so Jesus says, there's going to be earthquakes, diseases, all kinds of wars, all kinds of people predicting what's going to happen, and none of it means anything. That's just the way the world is. That's just the way life is. So they're like, okay, so that's what it's not. Then he gets more in depth in verse 9 and says, by the way, you're going to get delivered to tribulation. People are going to kill you. In fact." All the disciples, really, except for John, were were martyred. And you'll be hated by all nations for my sake. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets, again, will rise up and deceive many. It'll be very popular to make predictions that are bogus. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he says, lots of false prophets. There are going to be people who actually kill you, so you better be ready. Times are going to get difficult on this world. But the one positive thing, the only thing positive that he said so far is, during this time, The gospel is going to be preached around the world or throughout the world. Now, again, there are people who, in 70 AD, some of this stuff certainly happened. Some of what's in this chapter happened. There are people who interpret Matthew 24 as being all of it was fulfilled in 70 AD when Titus came in to conquer Israel. And some of it does seem to be alluding to it, but there are a lot of things, as you're going to see, that didn't happen in 70 AD that wouldn't fit. So people can argue over whether he's talking about 70 AD up until this point through verse 14 or not. After that, it becomes even more problematic to think that. By the way, people who don't believe, well, people who basically believe that we are in the kingdom now, they're called amillennialists, and a whole lot of Christians are amillennialists, several denominations, including the Catholic Church, believes that after 70 A.D., or after Jesus ascended into heaven, at least, that now we're in the kingdom. Jesus is on the throne. He is fulfilling all of his promises. The Jews don't matter anymore. Israel doesn't matter anymore. That's the view of a lot of people, and so those kind of people look at this and just see, see, this happened. It was finally, it's over, and now god jesus is reigning and that's but it's not the feeling that you get when you when you read it the the one thing that says he was preached the gospel of the kingdom was preached in all the world and you might go well wait a minute at that point the gospel hadn't been preached in the whole world you can even argue about whether the gospel has been preached in the whole world to this day but a lot of people would say well The first time it was possible was because of radio, television, satellite communication, and things like that. Let me explain to you at least, in this case, in all the world may just mean in the whole Roman Empire. Um, Their concept of all the world, in fact, if you think back on Luke 2, when it's talking about the birth of Jesus, and it says... There went out a decree from, in Luke 2, verse 1, there went out a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. They were only taxing the Roman Empire. They weren't taxing Chinese or somebody like that who wasn't a part of it. So this could this could have been fulfilled by um, 70 AD. Not a big problem. But it's still the agenda as we move forward and we get definitely past 70 AD. Because... In, in verse 15, there's kind of a shift. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, him on a housetop, not go down to take anything out of his house. The one who's in the field, don't go back to get your clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And if the days weren't shortened, nobody would have survived. So now he refers back to the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about in Daniel chapter 11 and 12. Um, Now there are people who would say, when the Romans overran the temple, that this was a fulfillment. Now let me back up. There are people who saw Daniel's prediction as being of the time when Antiochus Epiphanes 170 BC came in and defiled the temple, sacrificed a pig on the altar in the holiest of holies and the, and you know tortured the Jews. And so there are people who thought that what happened that all of those prophecies of Daniel had been fulfilled even before Jesus came, um, which I understand that to a degree, but Jesus is speaking future about an abomination of desolation that Daniel had spoken of in the past. So if Antiochus Epiphanes was a partial... Am I losing you? Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I like this stuff. But, so anyhow here's the thing. When Antiochus Epiphanes did what he did, Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 12 that Messiah was going to come three and a half years after that abomination of desolation. That did not happen in 73 AD. Nothing happened significant in 73 AD. It also really didn't certainly happen in the days of the Maccabees and, and with Antiochus Epiphanes. So Jesus seems to be referring to something that is yet future even for us at that point because of he's tying it up with Daniel. So he's like, no, something's going to happen. And this is a time, and Jesus refers to it as the great tribulation. And he says um, in verse 23, look, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, don't believe him false Christ, false prophets, they're going to rise, do miracles, fool even the elect if it was possible. I've told you beforehand, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, don't go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. As the lightning comes from the east and flashes in the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then in verse 29, he refers to this time of, of judgment on the earth as being the great tribulation. So, he seems to be referring to a time yet future where there is a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 12, which will then lead to three and a half years before ultimately, you know, Jesus comes and ascends to his throne. Now, if you have a different belief and prophecy and things like that than I do, like if you believe that we're in the kingdom now or you believe anything else about it, I don't care. Because, and I'm not just saying I don't care because you're wrong. (laughs) Though you may be, but I may be as well. But here's the thing. Let's take what Jesus is saying. We can try to figure out what he's saying. But if it was really important for us to totally understand it, he could have been more clear. Instead, what he is just saying is, no, this is going to happen. There's going to be what Daniel predicted and... Ultimately, this time of great tribulation. But he also describes his coming as being like lightning, comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What does that mean? It means when I come, you're going to know it. I'm not going to tell you when. I don't even know. But when I come, it won't be like, well, maybe he kind of came in 70 A.D., Or maybe he kind of came the end of the first century. Or maybe he, you know, is he here now? Are we in the kingdom? That would seem to be laughable compared to his description of all of it. But he goes on and talks about, and again, you can't miss his coming because he describes it as after the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken That didn't happen in 70 AD. Nothing like that at all. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I pronounce that carefully because people usually say power and great glory, but it's (laughs) great glory. And he'll send his angels who will gather together the elect, and so on. So Jesus is telling them, I'm coming back. But you're not going to know it because people prophesy it. You're not going to see when it happens. It's going to be, it's going to happen at a time when it happens. So don't listen to people. It's not going to be foreshadowed by some wars or sicknesses. or It's not going to be like, oh, you know, Russia invading the Ukraine, plus COVID, plus this. Therefore, ooh, here we are, this is it. It's like, now that stuff's going to happen, that's fine. When I come, you're not going to miss it. Trust me. And then he goes on and says, Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. When you see the Son of Man in heaven, when you see the clouds, the the stars, all of these reactions... Then you better know, okay, this is it. Before that, it's not it. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So what does that mean? This generation won't pass away. That's why people think that this was fulfilled in 70 AD. Because it would be very easy to say there were a lot of people who were alive in 32, 33 AD who would still be alive when Israel was invaded but clearly most of this other stuff isn't connected to it so then people speculate and do great calculations about well maybe it's like when certain things start happening then the clock starts ticking and people argue as a generation 100 years, 40 years, 20 years but usually or a lot of times when this word for generation it's It's the same word that we, that comes, you know, from it comes generate or genetics or genome or whatever. And it could be, and usually it was for the Jews, the idea of a generation would be like our descendants. See, they saw themselves, it's why they had so many genealogies, because it's like, here's a record of our genealogy, our generation. So... He may, I don't know, but he may have just meant there's still going to be Jews. Israel's is still going to be around. This is still going to make sense in the future, so don't worry. The Jews weren't like us. We we tend to culturally just be about like, you know, yeah, we kind of care about our kids if they're good, and even our grandkids if they like us, but if you go, you know, your great-great-grandkids are going to live in a terrible world you're like i don't even know them (laughs) you know and but for them they would rather know that their descendants are being blessed than that they would to bless themselves and so it makes sense for him to say look this is still fulfilling the promises that god made to israel there are a lot of old testament prophecies that god made to israel that haven't been fulfilled yet so you know i think That's what he's saying. It's not going to, you know, this is going to happen with the Jews. And then he goes on and says, of that day and hour, verse 36, nobody knows, not even the angels, my father only, implication even I don't know. And then he says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. As in the days before the flood, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he didn't even know the flood was coming. So two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore so you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Now, he's talking about judgment coming. So the two people in the field, one taken, the other left. It works good for rapture movies, but it's not really what he's talking about. Um, it's like the days of Noah. And, but here's the thing that he's evaluating and accentuating to them. He said, you're wanting to know clues so that you'll kind of know when it's going to happen. And I am telling you, I don't even know. Nobody knows when it's going to happen, but like in the days of Noah, everybody thinks things are fine. So when you look at the world today and you go, Guy, there are so many wars and, oh, so many people doing disgusting things and, and, oh, the corruption in politics and, in you know, in false religions and all. Oh, it's horrible. What a mess. Jesus must be coming back. He's saying, no, actually, it's always going to be like that. But the truth is, when it's really time for me to come, nobody's going to expect it. He said in another place, I'm going to come in an hour when you don't think when you don't expect it, just like when the flood hit, and all of a sudden it hits and you go, maybe there were clues, but nobody could have looked at the way the world was and said, this is ripe for punishment. The world has always been ripe for punishment. The flood is a perfect example of that. And what came forth out of that is an example of that. So don't believe people who tell you that, oh, our world is just telling us, oh, Jesus is going to come at any moment. Jesus can come at any moment. But his prediction is that when it comes, you're going to be like, wow, I didn't see that coming at all. And so so he says, so here's your deal. Watch, you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. And then he goes on to say, a faithful servant is waiting for his master. An evil servant is living like, eh, my master's not coming back. And then they treat people poorly. And ultimately, he says, the master of that servant is going to come when he isn't looking for him. And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which then transitions into chapter 25 where he tells a couple of really powerful um, parables. And then has some more remarks at the end. But here's what Jesus has to say about biblical prophecy is found more here than it is anywhere else. I mean, it's... It's what they wanted. It's what they were asking for. They had a chance to sit down and talk to him about it. But what do we really get from what Jesus has said? Um, First of all, he accentuates over and over again, there are going to be so many false prophets. Don't listen to what people say about, you know, oh, we're getting closer because of this, or oh, this is happening, so therefore you can know that. He said they're fakes, And they're cashing in on this, but the truth is, I don't know. And they don't know either. And I don't care if it's 2,000 years from now. They're not going to know anything more than I know than you know right now. So he said, prophecy will be one of the biggest scams ever going. And it it would be in their day, and it would continue to be that way. Sorry, but that's just, he, he makes that point clear. He makes another point clear as well the gospel is supposed to be preached throughout the world the reason why jesus hasn't come back yet is because we are still following his command to take the gospel to the world that's my job i don't know when jesus is coming back but i know as long as i'm here i want to be able to share with people that god loves them that jesus died for them that they can be forgiven that they can have a better life in him that was what Jesus was saying, this is what it's about. It's not about, oh, wars and, and you know, disease and all that. It's about spreading the gospel. There are going to be phonies everywhere. But in the end, when I come back, don't worry. You're not going to miss it. It's going to be so obvious that nobody's going to be arguing, now, is this like 70 AD, I don't know, what does this mean? and what, Is this what happens and is it going to happen then? He's like, don't worry, man. The whole place is going to blow up when I come back. It'll take care of itself. My question to you, Jesus would say, are you ready? Are you always ready? Are you okay? See, I, it's important for me to live my life being ready for him to return. And I am. I would be totally cool if he came today. But if he waits another 500 years because he wants to save another 20 million people, good with that too. Whatever he does is fine, but I will be ready until the day I die. And then I'll see him and then it won't matter anymore. Now, it's interesting when you read this, how many things he doesn't tell me about that I'd be interested in. Like, okay, Jesus, Jesus, Tell us about prophecy. What's with the Antichrist? What's with, you mentioned the abomination of desolation. Who does that? Who, I know, and Jesus is like, nah, there's all kinds of Antichrists. He doesn't even mention the big one, that, we're, that people are trying to figure out who he might be, like Gavin Newsom or whatever. It's like, <laughs> it's like doesn't matter, man, there's a bunch of them. And so throughout history, people guessed that it was this person or that person or the other person. Jesus doesn't even bother talking about it. Something else he doesn't talk about that kind of bugs me is the rapture of the church. I'm someone who believes in the rapture. I believe in it because I believe... Now, don't be offended if you don't believe in the rapture. Again, you'll go either way. But, um, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4... It describes a time when, you know, that we will be caught up. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I don't know what else that means if it isn't that we are literally caught up. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery, which is interesting. A mystery is something that people didn't know, and now I'm going to tell you. And then he talked about We won't all sleep. We'll all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Trumpets shall sound. Dead will be raised. And we will be, you know, we will be transported. So, if he's, he seems like he's talking about some kind of a removal or a rapture at that time, too. Maybe Jesus didn't even know about it, but God revealed it to Paul. I don't know. But as fascinated as I am with the rapture, or as much as sometimes people want to argue with me about it because they go, oh, was, nobody believed it until, you know, the early 20th century. And why do you I'm like, I just believe it because of a couple places in the scriptures that seem to describe it. But I don't, you know, do I care if I'm wrong about the rapture? And why would you care if I'm wrong? Or why would I care if you're wrong about it? What's going to happen is going to happen. Jesus makes that clear. The question is, are you declaring the gospel? And if somebody's telling people that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, you know, and our sins can be forgiven by him, I don't care what they believe about the rapture. But Jesus says he's describing the future. He doesn't even mention it. He just blows right through it. John kind of blows right through it in the book of Revelation as well, which should at least, it doesn't make me not believe 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, but what it means is I need to keep those in perspective. It's not the most important thing. Something else I wish he'd talk about. The millennium, what's going to be happening during the thousand-year reign of Christ? When we seem to have you know, jobs of authority, the millennium fascinates me. The church is divided between those who think we're in the millennium now and those who you know, believe that we are actually going to bring in the millennium. That's post-millennialism or pre-millennialism, where we believe he's going to come back and set up his kingdom. He doesn't even mention it. doesn't mention the millennium, the thousand-year reign at all. I'm like, Jesus, come on. I know this is a Cliff Notes version, but this is something they would have been really interested in but he's like, "No, I am so focused on what I am telling you. Spread the gospel and be ready for my return and don't listen to people who come up with elaborate schemes that are more elaborate than what I've given you. Just blow them off and stay focused on what matters." And so to me this is it's interesting what he leaves out. I I would have loved for him to go into a little more detail. I would have liked for him to describe some more of what was happening. I don't believe that somehow that Israel's out of the picture, but still there's going to be this being fulfilled, as some people do, because um, this whole event centers around Israel. Like he says, man, when when you're being persecuted, just hope it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. If it wasn't in Israel... Why would you worry about it not being on the Sabbath? Seems like if I'm going to run from somebody, Saturday would be a pretty good time to do it. There's less traffic. I would go, just pray that it isn't on Sunday during football season or something. You know, but everything he's saying is directed to them. But everything he's saying keeps coming back to, there's a lot of baloney out there. The gospel is what matters. And it's all going to happen when it happens in the way that it's going to happen, be ready. And we'll see more of that as we get into chapter 25 as well. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot in this chapter and yet there's so much you left out. I mean, we can't do much of a prophecy conference if all we did was look at what you said and Admit that three-fourths of what you were saying is correcting errors, not really giving us content. But we want to have your priorities. We want to value the things that you value most. And so we receive from you, from your word. And Lord, we will do everything we can with our last breath to understand that us spreading the gospel is the most important thing. It has to happen until you return because nothing else matters without that. And then, Lord, we'll quit trying to decipher the news. Help us instead to make sure that we are ready. We're ready for you to come today and we're ready for you to come a lot later. It's in your hands and we know that it'll happen at the perfect time. We know that it will happen. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never really understood the simple good news, they've probably heard Christians with a bunch of strong opinions about all kinds of stuff, and they have political opinions and historical opinions and theological opinions, but maybe it never sunk in to them that really what matters to you is that they receive the gift of salvation that Jesus died for them, that he paid for their sins, and that they can live a new life if they'll just receive him. So Lord, if there's anyone in that situation listening right now or here in the building, Lord, please just draw them to yourself. Help them just to sort through all the other stuff as most of what you're saying in this chapter is, don't worry about that, don't worry about that, don't worry about that. So help us to focus on that which matters to you, the reason why you came into the world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.